presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 214, Do You Need an Aviation Attorney? Coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to a special edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Recently, we've had a lot of feedback from our listeners concerning situations where they've received letters from the FAA concerning their medical exam. We've also had folks who've been concerned about recent accidents, incidents, and possible violations that are on their record. Uh, today, we're, we have with us Chris Pizzallo, who's an aviation attorney and airline pilot, to discuss when you should consider using an aviation attorney and what to do if you receive a letter from the FAA or have been involved in an incident, accident, or maybe possible violation. When it comes to either your medical certificate or your pilot certificate, dealing with the FAA is really can be a stressful issue. And, and not believe me, I've been there. You know, there's many organizations out there and resources that can help you through this whole process during a very, very trying time. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But uh, first, before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full-year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Well, thanks, Larry, about the announcement for the these... Uh scholarships boy i tell you there are so many of those out there for all different levels of uh, people getting certificates etc but uh, today we want to talk a little bit about uh, aviation law whether you need an attorney do you need an attorney and uh, and what resources are available joining me is chris pazala chris has been on the show a few times hey chris welcome to the podcast hi carl thanks for having me hey this is great i mean it's wonderful having you on here uh, again to talk about this issue one of the things that uh, has been really interesting lately. We've gotten a, a couple different feedback. Number one, there's an issue. We're going to talk about this later uh, concerning AME here in Central Florida. And also, uh, it's affected quite a few pilots. And also, uh, somebody has asked us about doing maybe an episode on, you know, what if we are involved in an accident, incident, a violation? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of emotions, etc. When I get a letter from the FAA, what do I do? And you know what? You know, I've been there. I know a lot of other folks listening have been there just remember you know in this situation you're not alone but you need to take action but you need to take the proper action absolutely well first chris before we get started let's talk a little bit about you and so people that haven't been introduced yet uh you are actually uh chris pazala esquire you know you have and also atp so and and many other things mba etc 
Yeah, if I put them all on the business card, I'd have to have two business cards. <laughs> the uh, You're actually involved not just uh, in the airlines as an attorney, but you're actually a pilot. Uh, that's uh, correct, actually. Um, I refer to flying for the airlines as my day job. And then uh, my real interest in addition to that is uh, doing the law side as well as um, I've done some union work uh, with uh, one of my previous airlines. Oh, good. I'm glad you brought up the union stuff because we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And uh, you actually, beside, and this is kind of cool because you don't just fly, you get to actually work in aviation and law and uh, and you're an attorney, which is kind of cool about the job. I mean, you get to do both things. Right. I get to see uh, both sides of it. And it's really been wonderful to go to these law conferences and meet attorneys attorneys who are involved in so many different things. So you and the, the law firm that you work for, work through, is it your own or is it your uh, So I work with uh, Robert Schumer, who's out of uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's a pilot um, and attorney. Uh, he focuses mostly on the law side as opposed to uh, flying for a living like I do, uh, but a very, very experienced pilot and attorney. And so um, I thought rather than starting my own law firm, I should find somebody who knows what they're doing and really a game from their experience. It's really been a wonderful opportunity. You know, it's interesting in aviation, you're thinking, gosh, there's really not that many pilots out there. So how does, uh, I'm kind of curious, how does somebody get involved in aviation law and how do you go down that path? Uh, well, the quickest way is the way I do, which is to get furloughed. <laughs> and then decide that you want to do it. Um, but it's, uh, there are, there's a few thousand pilots out there in the country that are also attorneys. And it's uh, really, it's a small, tight-knit group, but it's a wonderful group. And it's a nice, uh, two nice fields to bring together because there are so many things in aviation that require both understanding of the law and also an understanding of the technical side. So is there a difference between like lawyers and, and airline pilots? I, I hate to ask this question sometimes, put you on the spot. But I'm oh, absolutely. Anyway. Well, I mean, the, the difference is really in the mindset. And that's why it's so interesting to find people that do both. Uh, pilots tend to be very black and white. There's a rule, and that's how we follow it. And we expect other people to tell us exactly what that rule is. As a lawyer, it's completely opposite. As a lawyer, everything's up for discussion. Uh, <laughs> we deal with a lot of gray areas. Uh, my clients call me all the time, and they're like, well, I think it's this. I'm like, well, to be honest, it's, it's a gray area. And so when I went to law school, I had to change my mindset and, and get out of this black and white and into, okay, how am I going to analyze this? What question am I going to ask? And, and how do you settle a, a dispute between two laws or two different situations? So this field of aviation law, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about how it affects us as general aviation pilots, and a lot of airline pilots are general aviation pilots like myself. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but what, what exactly, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by aviation law? Right, and so aviation law is a very broad uh, category. We have everything from international treaties that help aircraft move between countries, uh, down to uh, state laws having to do with regulation of airports, and of course federal law, as many of us have dealt with in uh, operating aircraft. So out out there, I know there's there's in aviation. In my mind, it's all about federal laws, but in reality, it's not just federal law, is it? Uh, correct. So the Federal Aviation Administration and and a lot of the Department of Transportation is very federal. It's all on a national level. But when we get to the state level, we're working with airports and also a lot of laws having to do with contracts. So whether you've contracted for flight training, you've purchased an aircraft, uh, or if, if unfortunately you are involved in some kind of an incident or accident that damages an aircraft, the, the litigation that follows will, will be state law driven. And so those situations, you have an attorney from that specific state 
Whereas, say, a federal matter, like a, a pilot enforcement action, that actually could be any attorney from around the country. So as far as contracts are concerned, uh, maybe you could put a little color to that. You know, what, like what would be an example? Right. So uh, one of the big things we see a lot of aviation attorneys doing is uh, transactions, buying and selling of aircraft. Um, I know several attorneys that uh, work with pilots, and some that's all they do. They work in Oklahoma to help uh, buy, sell planes, do titles, handle escrow. So uh, that, that's a very, very big business. We also see a lot of attorneys working to help set up uh, small businesses uh, in cases where people want to put the aircraft into a, a business as opposed to owning it directly. So this aviation law, I know she said Oklahoma, it doesn't seem like it, it's really that big of a field. I mean, where, where would I actually find an aviation attorney? So uh, the aviation attorneys are scattered um, all across the country. There's many, many great attorneys. So uh, where you look depends on what you need. If you're dealing with a pilot enforcement action or if you don't know what you need, um, I recommend the Aircraft Owner and Pilots Association. Um, I've worked with their attorneys before. They are they're a very, very talented group. And the way AOPA works is they have a small group of in-house attorneys who will help you with any immediate issues, and then they will help you uh, move to one of the panel attorneys, uh, one of the people that they uh, have on their list of approved attorneys. So these panel attorneys don't necessarily work for AOPA then? That's correct. So the panel attorneys are separate, but if you have a legal plan through AOPA, it will in in many cases pay for that attorney. So if there's something that requires a significant amount of effort, uh, AOPA, if you have one of those plans, may pay for that attorney. Um, AOPA's plan will actually pay for any attorney, but the panel list gives you a, a quick reference to find people that are specifically interested in working in the aviation field. Yeah, the AOPA Legal Services Plan is great. We've had them on the show, had them on uh, Sun and Fun Radio. They really are informative, and uh, I like the fact that one of the things they stress, and I think you stress too, is the fact that when something happens, you know, don't panic. It's it's just like in an emergency in an airplane. I know it seems to get more emotional. It seems sometimes we do better with an emergency in the plane than we do when it comes to legal issues. We we get a little too wrapped up in it in our own personal and our own emotional self. Uh, absolutely. I've, I've seen that quite a bit, uh, especially with the union work. And so, you know, when something happens and, and you don't know what to do, obviously you're going to deal with the emergency first, land the plane safely. And then you, you want to get to somebody you know that can help you, whether it's the AOPA team or an attorney, or if you're uh, working for a company or maybe a union representative who can talk you through. Um, a funny story from a few years ago, actually a number of years ago now, but there was a, a union attorney got a phone call from a pilot. The pilot said, I, I just went off the runway with an airplane. I don't know what to do. And the attorney said, well, is everyone okay? And the pilot says, I don't know. I haven't gone back there yet. Wow, that's a that's a quick response. Uh, the first thing he did is call that attorney. So in that case, the attorney said, okay, why don't you go check on the passengers and get the emergency crew and they couldn't call back. Wow. Priorities, I guess, right? You know, so, so if you if you do you're involved in an accident, incident, of course, yeah, get that straight first. Interestingly, you know, I noticed we've been switching between uh, you know unions and and AOPA. We've been talking a lot there. Remember that in this general aviation field and the pilots that we're talking to now, many of those folks are, are airline pilots. You know, I I tend not to let people know I'm an airline pilot. I like to go to the airports and just fly the general aviation aircraft. But there are so many people, and this is what's great about it, is there's so many people in the airlines that have gotten involved uh, in aviation. The one thing that I hear from people 
especially those that aren't involved in aviation anymore that are airline pilots is they're they're too scared they don't want to have you know put their license at risk right um i hear that uh, quite a bit from some of the pilots and um, I've actually found that uh, myself at times where I've been out of the general aviation for a little while. And so the way I've resolved that is actually by hiring an instructor. And I actually did the early this year. I took six months off from general aviation, wanted to go fly my own airplane. And I called up an instructor and I said, hey, you know, I haven't flown in a while. Why don't you go fly with me? And it was a great opportunity. Um, I went ahead and did a biannual flight review, might as well. And logged a number of hours with this pilot and got comfortable back in the airplane. So you want to get comfortable in the plane. And just like you would with a commercial airliner, you want to be safe and make uh, good decisions. And if you continue to do that, you're going to be in a good situation. I like that you said that because if you're an airline pilot listening and you want to get back into general aviation and and you're trying to decide, or maybe one of your friends has taken this episode and said, hey, you got to listen to this. One thing I'd like them to do, we mentioned AOPA, is look at some of their programs. They have rusty pilot programs that are specific to airline pilots. And I know that this sounds crazy to a lot of the lay people, but in in aviation, you know, you really need to have specific training for the aircraft and the type of operations. You know, you're not just going to go out there and fly a seaplane. Uh, it doesn't matter if you, you have a license. You need to get an actual certificate for that. For us, in general aviation, we know that's obvious. But for the general public, they don't get it. They're like, well, you're an airline pilot. Why would you go with an instructor? Well, I do. I do it all the time. Uh, absolutely. And there's, I'm actually qualified to fly a number of aircraft, including seaplanes and gliders, and I can't keep all of that current. So every few years, I decide I want to get back into gliders. I call up a glider instructor. And uh, actually, uh, the last time I did, I called up and I said, I need a glider instructor. And they said, sure, we have Pat here. Well, he had been one of my students, believe oh, it or not. Wow. <laughs> but he was more proficient. He was, he was now an instructor which is starting to show my age. And so, anyways, uh, he came in and actually, you know, flew with me, and uh, that was really, really a great experience uh, to, for me to learn some new things and to get proficient uh, and then to uh, get back into gliders at that point. So one of the things that, you know, we can glean from this is to maybe – Make sure you don't get into a situation where you need an attorney. Get out there and get some instruction. A great example is VFR. I mean, as airline pilots, we we fly in VFR conditions many of the time, but we don't actually fly VFR. We don't understand how to look at restricted airspace or MOAs and things like that. You know what? You know what are those things? We need to go back and review that. What are the limitations as a VFR pilot? And that's the, that's the type of thing you need to know because that'll keep you out of a lot of the trouble that some of the people have gotten into. Uh, absolutely. I did some uh, VFR flying earlier this year, and I had to go back and actually relearn how to look at a sectional chart and figure out exactly where the airspace was. So that was that was an interesting experience. And especially now, um, I've been running a few years behind. I finally have four flight. Oh, wow. Just I, I, got it, huh? <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I had a number of friends who had it, and I'd borrow their devices, uh, but I, I finally actually got it on my own tablet this year. And so, you know, going through and getting familiar with that technology and how you actually uh, interpret that screen, because it's just a little different than the paper. So that's something else you want to do is get used to whatever equipment you're using, whether it's a knee pad, knee board, a, a particular type of software. It's all going to be a little different. It sure is. Going back to the AOPA legal plan, you had mentioned something, uh, I think you said a panel of uh, attorneys that are out there. One of the things that I would, if I'm looking at hiring an attorney, where else can I find out about these attorneys? Are there other organizations I can go to? Uh, So there's uh, several groups out there. Um, The International uh, Air and Transportation Safety Bar is one of them. I think they picked an overly long name, but... 
um, IATSPA is their uh, title. And the other group, the one I work with the most, is the Lawyer Pilots Bar Association. And this is a group of people that are, for the most part, both pilots and attorneys. We've got a few airline pilots, uh, but mostly full-time attorneys who really enjoy aviation. And so this is a group of people, uh, we do all kinds of law, believe it or not. Uh, we have members that do everything from banking to intellectual property. But there's a large focus on aviation, uh, from aircraft contracts to enforcement. We've got some members that do nothing but uh, work with the FAA or maybe argue with the FAA, depending on how you want to call that. Yeah, it's usually arguing, but I'm just kidding. The uh, contracts that you're talking about, for instance, might be like a, a purchase agreement or that type of thing? Uh, we do, and we see the attorneys involved usually with the more expensive aircraft. Um, I will mention the AOPA has a lot of great templates and resources for people buying smaller aircraft who don't necessarily want to hire an attorney or maybe want to uh, prep their own paperwork and have an attorney review it which is a little bit cheaper than having to have an attorney write up all the paperwork. Yeah, again, they have so many really, really good resources. Uh, the Lawyer Pilot Bar Association, uh, like you mentioned, that's a, another good resource. There's uh, obviously word of mouth, uh, but when you're involved in one of these incidents, you, you really need someone to help you out. You need a large organization. Obviously, there's people in the in the unions. You know, They can go and, and call them, uh, but you know, it sounds like you're suggesting AOPA is a great start. I really like AOPA, and I think it depends on where you're coming from. If you're general aviation, start at AOPA. Let them you know, help you through it. If you're Obviously, if you're working for an airline, then you're going to want to start with your union and let them uh, give you access to their resources and their representatives. Well, Chris, I know that here in Central Florida, there's been a big buzz about an incident that happened. And we're not really going to go into names, et cetera, but it can be pretty obvious uh, to glean from that what we're talking about. But I've been getting a ton of emails about this. We've been seeing it on all the boards. But there is uh, an incident that happened here in Central Florida concerning an aviation medical examiner. Uh, I've seen the emails. I've seen the, the letters that come from the FAA. I've gotten a letter myself saying we're not sure that, not from this incident, but before we're not sure we can issue you your first-class medical. Uh, I When you get that letter, it's like a sinking feeling. I got mine like two days before Christmas. And what a, what a time to get that. It's like, oh, my gosh, am I going to have a job, et cetera. So there's all these emotions that go through your head. Is this the end of my career, et cetera. So I you know, having been through it, I've heard everybody say the same thing. You need to take a deep breath. Well, you do need to take a deep breath. You need to kind of think through this situation, talking about that situation. So let, let's talk specifically on this and what happened in, in Central Florida. Why don't you take a, bring us up to speed a little bit as to what we're discussing? Right. So um, in Central Florida, there was a particular AME or medical examiner uh, who was very popular. And in early March... Uh, word uh, reached us that uh, he was no longer qualified to give medical exams. And within a few days, we discovered that people were receiving letters from the FAA uh, insisting that they needed to go back and get a new medical from a different AME, or it may possibly result in an enforcement action, which mainly would be a revocation of their certificate, uh, their, their medical certificate. And so um, I started doing some investigating on this, and, and sure enough, this AME did uh, lose his qualifications. Uh, that is still under investigation, so um, I won't speculate as to why. But uh, the big issue is that the FAA is concerned about all the medicals this individual issued, and so they have now notified 2,700 pilots that their medicals are in question and that they would like them to go and get another one. 
And if they don't, then they're going to possibly uh, revoke the remaining ones that haven't been replaced. So normally when the FAA comes to you and they ask you something, first of all, let's talk about that uh, because there are some scams out there you got to be careful about. When the FAA or when the government usually contacts you, it's normally through a letter. Uh, that's correct. Anything that is that important, uh, the FAA will contact you uh, via regular paper mail, which is one of the reasons it's so important to keep your address up to date with the FAA is so that when something like this does come, which we hope it never does, but if it does, at least you can go ahead and receive the letter and work with it. So if you get a letter like this and you really are not sure what you're looking at, again, this is a good time to call AOPA or an attorney you know or your union and ask, you know, have they seen this before? Um, in this particular case, it didn't ask for money or any of the things we see with a normal scam. It simply insisted that you should get another medical, which is still quite a hassle. So it's, it's at least worth, you know, calling and verifying. I've had a number of, of uh, pilots call me asking, and, and, you know, obviously I'm able to tell them that, you know, based on their description of it, that yes, that, that is the correct letter. So when that letter, going back to the time frame that they have, I mean, when you have a medical issue, it's usually a sp specific time frame that you have to respond. Is it normally, like from what I've seen, like 60 days or something like that? That's what they're uh, putting on these ones, is that they're specifying 60 days, they're not being very clear about when that 60 days starts. We're seeing on some of the letters that they're dating them one day and it's taking them up to a week to get it into the mail. So to be conservative, though, we'll treat it as though whatever the earliest date we see is going to be your 60 days. And the sooner you can get a new medical in this particular case, obviously, the easier it's going to be to deal with this. And what they're saying is after the 60 days, they're not going to invalidate the medical automatically. They're going to go to a legal proceeding or they may go to a legal proceeding, which they can revoke the medical at that point. Obviously, we don't want to get to that point. So what AOPA is telling the pilots and what I'm telling the pilots is that the, the best thing to do is if you get one of these letters is to comply with the letter and get another medical. So looking at that letter, it's, it's usually from the aviation medical branch. Is that where it's coming from? Right. So these are coming from the aeromedical branch. Uh, one of the interesting distinctions the FAA um, explained to me a few weeks ago uh, when I was having a conversation, uh, Aeromedical cannot take back the medical certificate. They have to have a revocation, and that actually comes from the legal department. So if anyone does not get a new medical and they decide an Aeromedical wants to see it revoked, they actually have to hand that over to the attorneys, and then the attorneys will go through the legal process. Another thing, too, having uh, worked with a lot of folks in the past, and I'm not an attorney, but worked with a lot of folks in the past with medical issues, is that they, they give you this, this uh, 60 days, and from what I've gleaned, it's always been from the date that it was actually mailed, so you really don't have 60 days. Uh, so when you comply with that, many times you may not be able to comply with that 60 days. From the FAA, and having worked through this a few times, uh, they said that normally they'll extend that 30 days. You just have to ask for this. My advice, though, is don't do that until you actually need the 30 days because if you ask for a 30-day extension, they're going to date it from the date that you actually requested it. And say they gave you 30 days and you asked for an extension the day you got the letter, you've actually given yourself less time. Uh, right. So if, if you get one of these letters uh, or any kind of a letter like that and you think you can't comply in the time frame, uh, first thing I'd say is check with an attorney before you send anything back to the FAA. Uh, and then, you know, have the attorney take a look at the dates and, and, like you said, take a look at the time frame. Make sure you're putting the right time frame on it. And the other thing is that 
you try to be as timely as possible. If somebody's at 61 days, it's probably not as much of an issue as if they were to be at 70 or 80 or 90 days. So you know, make your best effort to do what needs to be done. And also, and at the same time, you know, get AOPA or somebody else engaged so that you can make sure you're doing everything properly. So I know this is really frustrating. And for some, they will also say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I shouldn't have to pay for this medical more than once. Um, I'm not at fault here. I'm almost like a victim. What would you say to those people? I, I'm sure there's some people that are thinking, gosh, is there any way I could get reimbursed for this expense? So, um, unfortunately, the, the FAA saw this coming, and they actually wrote into the recent batch of letters that they will not pay for it. Um, the way the FAA feels about this, and I'm sure the pilot, many pilots will disagree, but the way the FAA feels is that the AME may have uh, erred here, and that's why they're reviewing these. They feel that since you hired the AME to do your medical, you contracted with the AME, and that the AME's failure is part of a contract that you have with them, not with a contract that the pilot has with the FAA ex- itself. And so the short answer is the FAA is not going to pay for it. You can ask them all you want, but uh, they're being very clear about that. Yeah, I guess uh, it have to be some kind of civil action, but is it really worth it? Uh, for $100, I really can't see that being uh, worth it. It's going to be easiest to get the new medical, and you know, um, things happen in life. So, yeah, and going forward with this, um, maybe we could learn something from this situation. I think that's always important. You know, when you do go to a medical examiner, you know, make sure you're going to somebody that is doing the medical exam properly. If um, and, and I'm not sure about this case because I don't know this this medical examiner, but it, and I've been to a lot of different ones. If you walk in the office and they look at you and say, "Hey, here's your medical," you know that that's probably not the proper way to have a medical done because I think they're supposed to take some measurements, et cetera, like your waist and or excuse me, your weight and things like that. Uh, and if they're not doing that, there's a red flag, I think. Right, exactly. If if it doesn't seem like it's going through the right steps, the right process, then you know, there's there's always a risk that the FAA will come back. Uh, we've seen this with other things. We've seen this with check rides. Uh, we've seen this with uh, annual inspections. I heard a case where an, a, an IA did an inspection that wasn't proper. The FAA reviewed it, came back to the owner of the plane and said, we're not going to hold this against you, but you have to get a new annual. And, it, and this was about three months into the year. And the, and the owner, I think it was also a pilot, said, well, I don't want to pay for that. And the FAA said, that's not our problem. You contracted with that IA. So when you're going to give somebody money for service, always check and, and make sure that you know, you're know you comfortable with that person and with the service they're providing because ultimately you're hiring them. The FAA is not hiring them for you. So really buyer beware. Exactly. Yeah, so you really have to make sure you're working with someone who's really good, whether it's an AME, uh, a mechanic, whoever it is, a flight instructor even, and uh, and uh, pilot examiners too. I mean, we've had issues with that in the past. Absolutely. Um, I know there was one in the uh, western side of Florida that a few years ago had an issue, and they did actually have to go back and retest uh, several pilots at their expense. Those pilots spent money for the retest. They spent money for training leading up to it, so... Uh, do, you know, again, you know, buyer beware as far as who you work with. If you need recommendations, uh, local flight schools can provide recommendations for um, probably for both AMEs and uh, pilot examiners. And of course, uh, I'm located in Florida, so if people need recommendations for AMEs, uh, they can contact me via the uh, podcast. And the best way to do that, obviously, is stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com, and we'll send that along to Chris. 
Now, let's make sure people understand what they need to do when something does happen. We're going to get into other items besides just the medical. But there is a process depending on who you are. So say you're an airline pilot. The first thing you need to do is what? Call the union. Right. So if you're looking at really an issue where it's going to affect your license, it's really good to go to the union first and say, hey, this is what happened. Because there are a lot of pilots out there that fly GA. Seen it happen. We have somebody who the FAA came after and said, "Hey, listen, we're we're, we're gonna, you have an issue. We're going to have an enforcement action, probably." And uh, interestingly enough, after he contacted the union, the the airline that he had worked for really got involved in helping him out because they wanted him to continue flying. I mean, they got a, they have a vested interest in these people. A lot of training. Exactly. Um, I mean, if something does happen in the general aviation world. Um, you know, contacting you know, AOPA is still a great resource, and also contacting the union, and then between the two, they'll decide uh, which attorney might be better qualified to help with the FAA. And you might need more than one attorney, so you may have one attorney uh, working under the AOPA plan to to work through the FAA issues, and have a union uh, representative or union attorney working with the company on that side. And I've uh, I've been in that situation before as a union representative uh, working with the pilots, where I'm only dealing with a portion of the of the matter and somebody else is dealing with the rest when you're having a, an individual or an organization working with you on a certain issue there are many times though that that organization uh will say hey listen we're taking this over and if you want us to work on it we really don't want anybody else involved and i kind of get that because there's some liability especially on like the medical side and and I, i'll say i've made that mistake in the past where i've had multiple people working on it and i've been dropped actually by an organization that said listen we're we aren't going to handle this for you anymore since you're out there doing it on your own Right. You definitely want to make sure that all the parties involved uh, know that there are other parties involved. Uh, I've seen cases where someone has hired more than one attorney, and that creates a bit of confusion. Uh, when I was a kid, once I hooked up two answer machines at once to the same phone line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it created two different messages when uh, somebody would call through and get the voicemail, and they would play simultaneously. It was very funny. <laughs> Well, and in that case, we'll get really confused. And just like if you're working with a couple of different people working on this, the, the, whether it's a medical issue or an enforcement action, you know, let's talk a little bit about the enforcement actions. Get away from the medical thing. And by the way, if you've gotten these letters, obviously, you know, you can send us an email and we'll send it on. Uh, and this is an issue you're probably watching it on the boards online. And be careful what you listen to. I mean, we've been talking about AOPA and and the attorneys that are out there, but there's so many bulletin boards out there that people give you all this advice and it can get really confusing because there's some really good and there's some really bad advice absolutely uh so funny story um last week i called my union at work to ask a question about our scheduling system and and i asked my first question the answer and then i said well i heard from some of the pilots and he goes stop there if you heard it from one of the other pilots it's probably not true (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hate to say it, but he's right. And it turns out it wasn't true. I, 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 you know, I asked the person who's in charge of this, and he goes, yeah, that's, that's not correct. It, you, know, you do it this way. And so, fortunately, my schedule will go in correctly, and we'll see how it comes out later in the week. Um, but you need to be careful where you get advice from. Um, there's a lot of bad advice out there. I know there's a lot of folks out there who say, if air traffic control gives you a phone number, don't call it. Well, you're not required to call it, but... We find in most cases, if you call the number, you can actually, or in many cases, you can actually resolve the issue without going to the FAA or without going to enforcement. So if something like that happens, be polite, especially on the radio, it's being recorded. Um, if air traffic control asks for a phone call, give them a phone call. Figure out what the issue is. 
Um, I called up once. Uh, I got a phone number, and I called them up, and they just said, oh, yeah, next time you're at the airport, um, just taxi a little further and make it the turnoff one taxi way down. It's just as easier for us. It wasn't even an enforcement at all. We just, for convenience, they just wanted me to go one more taxi way. <laughs> right. So you're not really many times looking at something that's going to be bad. It could be some good advice. Right. And a lot of times the controllers feel like if they can just explain to the pilot where it went wrong, they, don't wanna, they won't go through the paperwork. It's a lot of paperwork for an air traffic controller to file a pilot deviation. They don't want to do it any more than you want to deal with it. Uh, and then once, a, once you have you know, made contact, if you're concerned that there's an outstanding issue, uh, then this is a good time to go ahead and get, get an attorney or a union uh, person involved. Uh, also, if you're working for an airline, you may have an ASAP program, which is uh, similar to the General Aviation uh, NASA program, where you can file a self-report, and those are great programs. So you want to be familiar with those before something happens. And remember, when it comes to NASA and ASAP, there, a lot of times there are time limits, they can be as short as 24 hours. So you really want to be familiar with those ahead of time. And, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to file one of those reports. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because um, if you are involved in something that you're not sure may have been a violation, what type of advice would you give to that person? Uh, well, the first thing is I would still go ahead and file the report. The reports are free, um, and they follow a rule called sole source reporting. If you report something, even if it is a violation, and your report is the only report of that, or your report and maybe the report of another pilot you're flying with are the only reports, the FAA will not take action on that. They will not look at that and go, oh, we have an opportunity here to go file a violation. They're not going to do that. Uh, they will only make an issue of it if there's another report from, say, an air traffic controller or some other source, um, usually air traffic control. So you know, go ahead and get the ASAP or the NASA report in, and then at that point, uh, you're going to want to contact someone who is familiar with the with whatever the issue is. And so, again, that's going to be, uh, it could be a union person, or if you're comfortable calling the company you work for. In some cases, it may just be easier to call a chief pilot and ask a question. Or if you're not comfortable, call a union rep and have them call the chief pilot. Um, I've had that question before. And, of course, uh, you know, attorneys that you may know. And I should mention, a lot of attorneys will do a consultation for free. So if you just need to talk to somebody, uh, you can reach out to one of the aviation attorneys uh, who you know, lists that as their field or who's you know, recommended through AOPA, and that would be a good source. So we've been talking a lot about the folks that are flying GA that are airline pilots. But how about those folks out there that are private pilot that have possibly violated, an, say, an airspeed or an airspace restriction? And, uh, and now, you know, what do I do? I, I know she mentioned the ASAP when there's the ASRS pro, uh, program that's out there. Filing that, I think, would be a, a great suggestion. Right. The Aviation uh, Safety Reporting System, uh, often referred to as the NASA system, uh, it's maintained by NASA, and the reason NASA runs this program is to help keep it uh, away from the, the FAA so that everything doesn't automatically result in enforcement. And so uh, you can go to the Aviation Safety Reporting website and uh, fill out a report. It's free. You can do as many as you want, and you, you record the event. And after that, uh, they run through a de-identification where uh, they'll give you a receipt. Make sure you keep the number because that's the only way that they can connect you back to that uh, filing later. And that's going to help uh, prevent uh, the – that de-identification keeps the FAA from showing up just because you filed a report. You know, I've had experience in the past with some people saying to me, well, I'm not going to file anything because they probably didn't catch this. 
Well, that's not a good way to be. I mean, if you think you've done something wrong or you know you've done something wrong, it's really best idea to actually come forth with it because, like you said, if it's non-sole source, they're going to come after you. Exactly. If, if, if your filing is the only filing, nothing will ever come of it. And if somebody else does file, then you pull out your sheet of paper with your confirmation number and say, well, actually, I filed this. And the FAA will take um, a much better view of that uh, a number of years ago, I was operating a plane and uh, had an altitude that did not match what the controller had described. And uh, this has all been resolved, so I can talk about it. And um, and so we got a phone number. We landed. We called the number. And the supervisor said, yeah, I pulled the recordings. And, and there was a violation. Unfortunately, you went to somebody else's airspace, so we can't let it go. And, you know, they were very nice, very polite. And so they filed their paperwork. We filed our paperwork. And a few weeks later, I get a call from the FAA, and they asked me what happened. And I told them the story. And they said, yeah, we talked to the other pilot, and he said the same thing. And um, don't do it again. We'll catch you later. And that's a very good positive outcome. It, it really was. Uh, you know, nothing in the file, nothing's, you know, not going to court, not having to fight over this. So, uh, you know, being honest, filing the right reports, and being professional goes a very long way. I think you're correct on that. And, you know, I've been involved in, in quite a few incidents, and uh, it's been, you know, maybe bad luck or whatever. But when the FAA does call, you tell them exactly what happened because uh, there's conjecture, et cetera. And I know the last time I had a call from the FAA and it, somebody had – described it as an accident and i explained to him no this wasn't an accident and they said well where's the airplane i said well they flew it away the next day obviously it wasn't an accident that was a very positive outcome but i very i went and i filed the nasa report right afterwards and that's incredibly important i've also had the other thing happen where the person i'm flying with says to me you know i don't want to file a nasa report i don't want to file an asap report uh, because you know i don't i don't want to have to deal with that well sure enough three days later the faa calls now you haven't filed a report and there are times when you may not be protected. I will say one thing, though. They, for most of these instances where you may have forgotten that you needed to file a report, the FA usually, most of the time, will say to you, hey, listen, just get a report in within the next 24 hours, and that's fine. And that's been my experience, that's for sure. Right. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll give you a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on, in terms of the timeline. And sometimes we're not aware. Uh, it's 24 hours of being aware of the issue. So if, if the call you get from the FAA weeks later is your first indication that something didn't go right, then you've got an opportunity here within 24 hours to file a report. But as soon as you know, go ahead and get it filed. And it's also it's great for aviation safety. That's the point of the database is that even though you're going to take your name off it, that information is available. It's going to be analyzed uh, by people over in the program and then categorized. And they look for common uh, threads. Um, the, the air traffic controllers have a similar system for reporting, and they will. They will find systematic problems where maybe the right information hasn't been provided to the pilots. Um, I know with the uh, when we started going to climb via similar to Descendvia, there were a lot of uh, questions and a lot of pilots who were double-checking. And so they actually started taking reports every time there was a question, not because they want to get the pilot in trouble, but because they were trying to figure out how to educate pilots and, and you know, where is this information? Is it particular airlines? Is it particular regions of the country? You know, and, and since then, they've been able to go out and really uh, focus their efforts to provide uh, that information to the pilot group. Great point. I mean, there was an incident with uh, uh, whole short lines, and 
ILS critical areas where people were, uh, controllers were actually uh, pushing forward on a violation for people going past those when they shouldn't have been if they weren't told to hold short of that. And that's a great example where people, by filing those reports, the FAA said, oh, wait a minute, we need to get a letter out to our controllers and tell them this is not a violation. If you don't tell them to hold short of that, it's not a violation. That's a perfect example. But I get it. When you are involved in this, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go through your head. And that's the thing is that when you have an incident where they say, hey, I want you to call this number, you know, we are actually going to have to file a report. You need to do whatever is necessary. Uh, take a deep breath. Think about it. Don't submit right away. Take some time, read it over, and then go forward with it because that that can you can make a lot of mistakes. Right, and that was one of the big things um, I did when I did uh, union work. Um, and again, I did that with a previous carrier, and I would uh, help pilots. I can't write the report for you; it, it's your ASAP or your report. But before something would go to the company uh, through their reporting system or or through the uh, one of the ASAP or aviation safety reports, the pilots would a lot of times send me a copy of it. And uh, it'd be a chance to take out any any extra language, make sure that it looks correct, and and also to just clean up the writing. I'm going to be honest. A lot of the pilots, uh, English writing is not their top skill. <laughs> These are not the ones that went to law school. Uh, <laughs> great pilots, but uh, some of the writing certainly need a little help. So uh, it's an opportunity to to make sure that you know all the right information is there. Um, I, and again, you know, I can't write it for a pilot, but I can at least review it. And so um, I would imagine that uh, AOPA might be willing to do that or put you in touch with an attorney who could do that as well, especially if, it, if it's something pretty important. If you've been involved in an incident or accident, that's something you're going to want an attorney to review that. If you just have a minor altitude deviation, you could probably just uh, go ahead and do that one yourself. You know, we've been talking a lot about AOPA, and you know, just as a uh, you know disclaimer, we you know we don't get any any type of uh, financial benefit from this, other than maybe referrals. In your case, with a as an attorney, but we really believe in what they're doing there at AOPA, and a hats off to you know just the the basic things that you can do as just a just a general member, you can get some limited legal advice. Uh, absolutely. I don't really have any uh, business connections with AOPA other than um, I'm going to be listed here very shortly as one of their attorneys. I'm waiting for them to update the website. <laughs> well, that's cool. Congratulations it's, on that. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I'll be available. And uh, But it's nice because it, uh, after working with the union, it you start to realize how wonderful it is to have a team and have resources. And, it, you know, AOPA is that for the general aviation pilot because otherwise you're all by yourself. You own an airplane. And you are the pilot, you're the operator, you're the owner. It's a lot. Yeah, it really is. And and I know that, that there's been a couple of people uh, written in and said, you know, can you talk more about this? And, and like we have, we've talked about it. But you really need to just kind of think about it. You, you have to say to yourself, what did, did I do anything wrong? No. Uh, what do I do now? And to help me, maybe I do need to talk to somebody. And that's what's great about these organizations, especially uh, with AOPA. And they've done a great job, especially on the legal side. Um, they have a <laughs> they have a lot of attorneys over there, and they they really have a great uh, group of resources that they can lean on, even if the attorneys that they have may not be able to answer it. And that's what's really important about having that organization behind them you know before we move on to our other topic you know is there anything else any advice you can give to people as far as maybe with the the situation with their certificate uh just some some general you know good advice as to what to do uh well you know i know we've been all doom and gloom uh but 
you know, most pilots will never experience a significant issue. And if you do, most things can be resolved. Uh, the number of pilots who go for a medical exam and, and can't get through either through regular medical or a special issuance is, is very small. It's actually less than 1%, uh, according to the FAA statistics. So um, most issues can be resolved. And, you know, there's folks here that are going to work with you. So, you know, uh, be honest. Uh, you know, don't lie on the forms. Don't lie to the FAA. Be honest. And if you think you have issues, uh, find, you know, an attorney or an AME or whoever it is you need uh, their, their expertise to help you through it. And somebody will help you through it. Well, that's some great advice. And, boy, I appreciate you uh, actually sharing that with us in the audience here. Of course, if you have questions for Chris, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Well, Chris, what, what's next for you? I mean, uh, you're, so you're working now with an airline. You also are an aircraft owner. Uh, and, uh, and you know, what else is there? Uh, well, so uh, I'm still keeping my day job as a, an airline pilot, uh, mostly to pay for the fact that I'm an airplane owner. <laughs> <laughs> that gets quite expensive. It, it does. It's like owning a boat. Yes. Uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. I really, really do enjoy the airplane. And um, I felt they didn't have enough higher education, so uh, I'm going to go back to school again. Again? So what are you going to do next? Uh, so this time it's going to be a, an LLM. It's a uh, Master's of Law, and this one will focus on air and space law. So it's a degree mostly in the regulatory field that will look at uh, broader pictures like treaties and national law and how uh, we use that in conjunction with uh, not only aviation but now space law, which is becoming a very uh, new and growing field. So yeah, so when you're maybe when I decide to get my personal spaceship, then we can uh, talk a little bit about how you can give me a call. My hourly rate is going to be pretty high by that point. But if I can afford a spaceship, I should be able to afford the fee. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny we jest, but there's there's so much going on. Even you know, especially with drones and and planes, there's there's so many aspects. Uh, We do. We see a whole new world here with more autonomous aircraft within our atmosphere. And now we see the commercial realm of satellites and spacecraft. And there's a lot of questions. There's questions if a satellite bumps into another one, who pays for it? And now there's a lot of concern about space debris and and who's going to clean that up and how is that all going to be managed? And there aren't very many treaties on on international uh, space law. I believe there's only one so far. So it's going to take some time to uh, to build treaties and to build customary international law, which is a whole another hour discussion <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll actually allow us to, to keep moving forward. And then, of course, all of the liability issues with equipment that malfunctions or maybe damages other equipment. I remember reading in Time magazine when I was young, what are we going to do with all the space junk? And I guess this is apropos. Right. Well, it's, it's only going to keep building. So eventually it's going to have to be addressed in some form. Interesting. Really interesting. Well, we'd love to hear more about that uh, and hear more about what you're doing with grad school, et cetera. It's really exciting. It's exciting that you were actually able to come here uh, to Lakeland, Florida, in the beautiful weather that we've had here. Well, it turned out to be a beautiful day. We actually had some rain most of the day. But again, there's the, we can have you, people reach out to you. You also have some websites out there. Uh, there's one that has to do with the Bar Association you were talking about. Uh, right. So the Lawyers Pilot Bar Association, uh, it's lpba.org. That's Lima Papa bravoalpha.org uh, you can get in touch with them they've got a list of attorneys or you can email them uh, generally and they can help you find someone um, actually I'm listed on there as well and then um, we'll include a link to my Facebook page which is just a great way to get me 
Great, yeah, and I'll have that link on the website and all the other things that we talked about. But we went over a lot of stuff here, um, and and it has kind of been a little bit of a doom and gloom. But uh, you know, this is a necessary conversation to have. You know, when we do have a, an issue, uh, we do need to know what to do next. And hopefully, by this conversation, we've actually made you, the listener, a little more comfortable uh, in knowing what you need to do next. Because you know, when you don't understand something, you fear it. And now, uh, hopefully we've alleviated a little bit of that fear if you do have an accident or incident or you've been in one involved in one recently this is a great this has been great for you this will help you a lot and hopefully alleviate some of those fears but also give you action items i think that's the most important thing is to take action on whatever you do well chris thanks so much for coming by thank you carl it's been terrific, and uh, for our listeners, again, you can reach out to us, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com, if you have any questions for Chris or anybody else. We do appreciate everything that AOPA has done. AOPA has been a great organization about getting people back into flying uh, and, and getting back into general aviation. We talked a lot about violations with with uh, you know FA and, and possibly with uh, airline pods getting back into flying that are afraid of it. Uh, I, I, we may have put, instilled more fear in you. Hopefully we haven't. Just realize that there are many organizations behind you and get some training get involved with AOPA with the Rusty Pilots program and get with an instructor when you go out there to fly that's what's really really important well again thanks folks for listening this has been terrific having Chris here and to discuss some of these issues with both your medical and possible legal issues and now you know you have a place to go well folks talk to you next episode and safe flying been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.